I'm Kim Schlittler with Best Friends of Pets, and you're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, I'm Kelly Burley with Episode 4 of our podcast. Today, we visit with Jeff Cook, Vice President of Lab Rescue Oklahoma, whose passion for the art of craft beer is evident the moment you walk into his Southeast Tulsa office. As you can see, I started... uh, brewing beer a long, long time ago before the craft brewery started. And then all of a sudden when craft brewing exploded, I really loved going to all these neat breweries around the nation. And as you can see, I have what they call growlers of uh, quite, a few, quite a few breweries around here. So, so uh, yeah, take me along the wall here, uh, the, the wall of fame, if you will. Uh, I've got a lot of different uh, breweries represent. I've got a lot of them from Oklahoma, of course. I have a, I'm a small investor in one of them here in Tulsa, so that got me really into it. And Tulsa's, you know, the craft beer scene just exploded here, and it's a great place for everybody to get together. It's fun uh, with lab rescue and stuff with dogs. I mean, people, it seems like anybody that loves animals loves beer. And so I frequent a lot of these places and a lot of these other places that you see on the wall, like Destin Brewery, Iron Monk, uh, Beaver's Bend, all the way over to Stone in California. Almost every one of those breweries, you know, there was dogs all around them. Most of them have what they have called brew dogs, which are always around them whenever they're brewing. And it's, it's really interesting. Cook's interest in hops is eclipsed only by his love of animals. Today, Jeff shares with us his origin story and how life's challenges ultimately led him to his calling in animal rescue. I've lived in Tulsa my entire life. I had a small stint where my father, he worked for American Airlines, so we went to Houston for a while, uh, just a couple of years, and then came back to Tulsa. But, yeah, I'm, I'm Tulsa all the way around. I went to Disney Elementary, then went to Foster, and I graduated from East Central. So I've been around Tulsa the whole time. You know, it, it's funny, you know, people, you know, they hear East Central, they hear that side of the city, and uh, actually, it, it was really good. It was really great. I had great parents that really fostered me and my education. They were really down to earth. Uh, I always like to tell me, you know, people about my father is like, I was afraid of my father, but I wasn't afraid of him. I was afraid of not doing well by him. And my mother was the same way. Our, you know, our childhood was, you know, very, very good growing up. We took a lot of trips, went to a lot of places. Uh, you know, they wanted my education to expand. And so that's how we did a lot of that. Yeah, it's funny. We've always had, uh, you know, dogs with us ever since I was born. I can always remember a dog that we had, but Probably my wildest, earliest experience was with my cousin. We used to ride uh, dirt bikes out into the, you know, outside of Tulsa and everything like that. And we went into this one field, and there were all these brightly colored uh, little caterpillars. And at the time, I'm like, man, these are just wild-looking caterpillars. And thought nothing of it until I got back home, and uh, we happened to have a couple of weeds in our backyard. Well, they happened to be milkweeds. And come to find out they were monarch caterpillars. So I thought, well, let's, you know, I'll I'll try to raise them and everything, see what happens. And lo and behold, it became a chrysalis and turned into a monarch. And I was just fascinated. I mean, we were talking, uh, it was right whenever I was in elementary school, just fascinated with this, you know, transformation and everything. And so I began to get more into the animals. 
Uh, you know, I'd see stranded birds try to raise them and everything, but it was the, that monarch that just really got me into thinking, you know, there's, there's more out there and I want to know about it. And so I started reading lots of books on animals. Anytime we'd take trips, you know, I always wanted to see like the deers or I'd want to see buffalo or I've, you know, I've always wanted to see a bear. I've only seen it one time in my life, but I was just always attracted to the animal side of, you know, of life and everything. At what point did that love of the monarch butterfly then kind of transform itself into a love of um, dogs? Well, actually, it was kind of a long process on there because once I graduated from East Central, I went to OU. Uh, and, you know, going through college, uh, you know, I got into a fraternity. It wasn't the best thing for me at the time. I wasn't quite ready for college. Uh, it's kind of one of those stories where a lot of people talk about how you kind of lose yourself in life for a while. And, you know, I kind of went the wrong routes, you know, tar, you know, I was really back then, you know, you got to think that was the 80s. That's the material girl, all the other stuff, just accumulation. And then whenever I got back uh, away from college, I started thinking, you know, man, there, there's got to be something more out there. There's got to be something more that, you know, I'm, I'm about. And so... I, you know, once I graduated, I was going to get a job with the EPA down the Florida Keys where I was going to transform their entire septic system into a sewer system because my uh, degree was in industrial technology and environmental management. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I can really help that way. Well, my wife is very much a, uh, uh, you know, she, all of her family live in Norman. When she found out I got the job, she's uh, like, no, I don't, you can't, we can't move and all that. And so I was like, okay, well... You know, which when we've talked here a little bit later, became the best decision that I never got the job or took the job. So, you know, for a while I kept thinking to myself, you know, where, where, where can I apply this life? What can I do? I've got to be more than just making a paycheck. And so uh, we always had dogs. My wife and I, we had a dog named Ace and we had another one named Smuckers. And, you know, we've always had dogs. And what were Ace and Smuckers? Uh, they were both Labradors, Black Labs. I've, I've always, Black Labs have been my, you know, my go-to and everything like that. And so Smuckers was a dog that we got from a local hunting club here. Uh, it was, I won him in an auction. Uh, and he had very, very bad hips and bad uh, ACL and everything. And so I, we were sitting there trying to learn about what, what's going on with this dog. You know, he's a great, great little dog, just still a puppy. And at the time, he needed two surgeries for his hips. And so my wife and I at the time, we, you know, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And so we actually had to get a uh, care credit card just to pay for his surgery because we're we weren't going to put this little puppy down. So his first year of his life, you know, we have to carry him outside and do everything like that. And I started reading about overbreeding of populations. I started reading about puppy mills and everything else like that. And I, you know, I, that's when I first got started in learning about the Labradors and what's going on. Uh, you know, I always kind of knew about puppy mills and stuff like that, but never dove into it. So once uh, Ace, he was the older one, beautiful uh, blockheaded English lab, uh, he passed away. And so my wife and I were thinking, well, you know, Smuckers needs another companion, something like that. So I was on the Internet, and I found Lab Rescue of Oklahoma. And so for months, I just kept looking at all these dogs, looking at all these dogs. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, when's it going to be time? When's it going to be time? And there's this one little yellow mix lab. Just doesn't look anything like, a, you know, the labs I was used to. Uh, his name was Pitney. 
just horrible. He just kept getting passed over and passed over because he was so shy and scared. And so one day, you know, it's, it's several months later, uh, they put this little jacket on him that said search and rescue wannabe. And immediately I'm just, my heart, I'm like, okay, it, we're going to get Pitney. We're going to, you know, we have to get Pitney. Uh, so we filled out all the application. We were approved and uh, sight unseen. We told uh, the foster home, Vicki, who at the time I didn't realize was the president of Lab Rescue, uh, we said, sight unseen, you know, we'll take him, which you don't do today. You know, you, now you need him to meet the families, meet the kids, meet the, all the other dogs and everything like that. And uh, I remember going to PetSmart, my wife and I, and uh, seeing this this just abysmal-looking little guy it just that just needed love. And so we adopted him, and we renamed him Pickles. And so, and Pickles is just the absolute best dog for you know uh that we've ever had and so that's kind of you know it's a long story into how i became into all of this you know with the lab rescue and everything like that but i also still do stuff with monarch watch i still raise butterflies a couple years ago i actually raised 300 of them almost uh so growing up that's kind of how it came to where i am today with some of that stuff tell me tell me a little bit more about what is entailed in raising butterflies well uh when i very first started this uh, about four years ago you know i was wanted to do you know something a little bit different i was really really into lab rescue but during the spring and summertime you know i kept seeing the monarch butterflies around my house and i'm like okay well this is great and so i started planting more milkweed and then we'd have more monarchs and just started reading more about how you know only two percent of the larvae of you know survive for monarchs and at the time, they were really, really being decimated. They were at the lowest point of how many monarchs were in the world at that time. So I'm like, well, once again, how can I help? So I started uh, going out and finding uh, the monarch eggs. I'd bring them in. And I have little incubation pads and everything like that the first year. Maybe raise about 20 or 30. The next year, I go just all out. I buy an 8x8 eight eight tent. I'm going to raise them and everything like that. And so I raised them from eggs. I was raising like about 100 milkweed plants. I uh, had them around the house as well. And then once they would uh, get ready to turn in chrysalis, I'd take them to the big tent and they'd be there for a week to two weeks and then they would come out as monarchs. And I was having like an 80% success rate in raising them. And then there's nothing like going into that tent. I don't know if you've ever been to like some of these home shows or things where you get to go into the butterfly tents and they're flying all around you. It's just a great little feeling. Well, I had my own little sanctuary there because at times I would have 30 monarchs just flying around me. And then whenever they were ready to go, there's just nothing like going outside and holding them in your hand and just watching them fly off. And you know that you've helped the population. I don't know about you, but every time I see a butterfly, I I think about uh, their life cycle and um, how it is in some ways a very condensed version of our own life cycles. Oh, uh, wholeheartedly, like I spoke before, uh, you know, growing up, I was very empathetic towards, you know, uh, all animals, and I was just really wanted to be very worldly. And like I say, after I left OU, I kind of lost myself, you know, just it's one of those things where you're trying to search who you are. Uh, you know, getting with the wrong people, uh, you know, I was really not the nicest person to be around. And then I had a massive back surgery in 93 
to where I was paralyzed from the waist down. And I, you know, I had to start taking all kinds of medication, lots and lots of steroids, which really didn't help. And you can ask my wife. She was, she said I was probably the worst person she's ever been around at that time. But at that time also, you know, whenever I was paralyzed, you know, I, I couldn't walk for like six months trying to rehab and everything. And it's kind of like, you know, this feeling is, you know, that my, this, this part of my life was almost taken from me. And it's like I started thinking, okay, now, you know, you need to get out there. You need to do more. And you need to find out what you can do to give back. And for a long, a long time, uh, you know, I, I kept searching, kept searching. Then in 2008, uh, a girl clipped the back of my truck, and I had a rollover accident. And I rolled five times, and it flipped in the air twice. And the only reason I know this is because there was an off-duty fireman that was behind me as he was going. And he comes up to the truck, and he's, you know, he's telling me, you should be dead. You should be dead because my whole the whole cab was crushed. And, you know, I went to the hospital. All my friends and everybody showed up there. Uh, my wife was at work at the time, couldn't get away. She's a hygienist, so, you know, she couldn't do anything at the time. And I'm just seeing all my friends there as I'm in the hospital. And then she comes and picks me up. And after that, you know, she's like, do you want anything? I'm like, yeah, of all things, let's go get some, you know, nuggets or something like that. And I just started crying. All of a sudden, I just started crying. I'm like, I almost, I almost died. I shouldn't be here right now. But it wasn't so much that I was thinking of myself. I was thinking about my wife. I was thinking of my family. I was thinking about what I could do in life was almost taken away from me. And so it was at that point that kind of like, you know, talking about the, the metamorphosis of the butterfly, you know, you start out and then, you know, you have that ugly little period that you go through. And then all of a sudden, you know, something changes in your life like the butterfly and then, like I say, 2008 after that, and then finding Lab Rescue, I, I found, you know, it's, it's one thing, going back to, like I said, when I had that job with the EPA, the best thing that ever happened was I didn't get that job because I would have never been in Lab Rescue. I would have never been able to be part of Tag OK and now Common Bonds to where the, my, my purpose, I just, I just feel this need to do what we're doing. And so um, your first experience with Lab Rescue was the adoption of Pitney. And then from there, how did, how did this evolution come from being um, uh, someone coming in and adopting a pet to uh, your current role as vice president of Lab Rescue Oklahoma? Uh, it's one of the funniest stories. And uh, Nikki, our president, we, we always have a good laugh about this. But uh, like I said, after we adopted uh, Pickles, Pitney, we, you know, I always told you know, my wife and things, I said, you know, if there's ever any way I could give back to Lab Rescue, I'd like to because – you know, Pickles has shown me what it's like to save a dog, save a life, and watch it flourish. And so there was this one uh, winter, things were kind of really slow around here. So I was on Facebook, following Lab Rescue on Facebook. And so Nikki, and she was a board member at the time. She wasn't president. She was really, you know, trying to help uh, Lab Rescue really get off the ground. And so she posted about these five little puppies in Wichita Falls that had to be saved by five o'clock or they were going to be euthanized. And she was just pleading with anybody out there. Well, you know, it's the middle of the day. Nobody's able to respond. And I'm just sitting there and I'm watching this post and I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, I, I can't stand it. I see the picture of the puppies. So I called Dylan, who at that time was my right hand man and now my business partner. I told him, I said, Dylan, I'm taking off. I'm going to go down. I'm going to Wichita Falls. I've got to save these dogs. And so I posted on there. I said, hey, you know, I, I've got time. I'm going to run down there. I'm going to go down there. And uh, 
for the longest time, I didn't hear from anybody. I'm like, what is going on? Why is anybody answering me? And, of course, now in rescue, I understand that, you know, we're all volunteers. Not everybody's there. Everybody has jobs. Everybody has things going on. They have life. They have kids, everything else. So I'm just driving blind. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going to go to Wichita Falls. I just assume it's the shelter. And I'm driving, I'm driving. I get all the way to Stroud, almost halfway on the turnpike. And Nikki posted out, dogs are safe. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just so relieved and everything. I, you know, I posted on there, I said, hey, I'm at Stroud. I'm turning around, you know, thank you for posting that. I wasn't angry at all. I was just happy that the dogs were saved. And I said, if there's anything else you need me for, just let me know. So the next day... I get this message on Facebook from Nikki, you know, and I had no idea who she was. And the funniest thing ever, put in quotations, the air quotation, she goes, would you like to do some light transporting? And I'm thinking, okay, well, light transporting. I mean, I've got a job. I've got everything. So I'll do light transporting, you know, think I might do one a week, one a month or something like that. Uh, the next day she calls, Hey, can you go down to Norman? I'm like, wow, it's already starting. Well, this is, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I can go down to, I can go down to Norman. And so I, she told me what time the shelter opened. She said, just be there anytime. And of course in my brain, I'm like, I don't, I don't want that dog to be there any longer than he has to. So I drive all the way down to, you know, Norman, I get my car ready. I've got all these blankets and everything trying to, you know, for whatever animal I'm about to find, you know, make it the most comfortable. And so I get down to the Norman shelter, and this is before they had the new great shelter that they have now. This is their old facility. And I first get there, and that's when my first shelter experience started. Uh, you know, the first thing, I'm a plumber. And so I know what equipment I saw. I saw, you know, the euthanasia stuff and all the other thing. That's the first thing I saw. And I was like, whoa. And then I walk inside, and I see the shelter, and I see all these dogs. I see all these souls just looking at me, barking, some wagging, some, you know, just scared and everything like that. And so Nikki told me I'm going to be picking up a dog named Casanova. So I go in there and I get Casanova. And this is this little yellow, uh, little chunk of a uh, lab. I just had the greatest smile. Walks out and you could just tell he was so happy that somebody had saved him. And I was just like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. I load him up into my Jeep. Absolutely smelled like crazy. I wasn't ready for that smell. So, you know, I've got the windows down on the way, but... The whole time, Casanova's wanting to be in the front seat with me. I mean, just licking my face. We're just having this great time. It's a two-hour drive, and I was like, I was like transporting. Man, this is this is the best. I, I could do this forever. And finally, I get him to our vet, and I take him inside, and I you know hand him off. Said, Hey, I'm with Lab Rescue. This is Casanova, and they go okay. And then they take the leash from me, and all of a sudden, it ends. And I'm like you know, I, I really need this experience. This is crazy. So I walk out to my car, I get about a block away and I had to stop. I just start crying. I am sobbing. I am uncontrollably crying. And it wasn't because I was sad that I, you know, cast no, I was crying because the life I just saved this purpose I was talking about. And I'm sure there was people passing me going, what is this big bald dude just crying for? And so I took pictures of Casanova sending it to Nikki, you know, and she posted out as our, what we call our jailbreak pictures. And so you know, Casanova came into our system and he was adopted out to a uh, family that had a autistic son. And they said that their son rarely smiled, but the first time he met Casanova, smiled. And I got the opportunity uh, about five or six years later in an event that the lady came up to me and she goes, you're Jeff with Lab Rescue, right? And I'm like, yes, yeah. She goes, look down here. And it was Casanova 
and it was her son now that's about, I think he's got to be at least five, seven, five, eight. And he goes, yeah, this is my dog. This is Casanova. And I'm, I'm with my friends there at the event, and once again, here I am on the ground crying with this dog. You know, so it's just like how it all came around. And so, you know, the transporting just kept up. You know, I was going on transports at least once a week. I was up to almost 200 transports. Just couldn't get enough of it. There's nothing like going and saving a dog. Sometimes it's not as it's happy because a lot of times you'll get a dog that's hurt. You get a lot of dogs that are sick, so you really got to be prepared for that. Or you've got multiple dogs that same times won't get along, so you've got to put them in crates. A lot of stuff goes into transporting most people don't think. And so Nikki and I became really, really good friends. We would talk almost every day about, you know, what she's going to be bringing in and everything like that. And she started asking me if I would go to the shelters and evaluate dogs. She said, you know, so she, she did like a little class, came to Tulsa, taught us how to, you know, look at the dogs, evaluate them, dog-to-dog testing. And so I started doing evaluations for her. And so we just kept getting closer, and now – I could just see on the other end of the phone with Nikki. She's like, she's, you know, I'm this little fish out there, and she's throwing the bait, and I know that she's back there pulling back. I got me a marlin, you know. She's, she's got me. She's got me a hook, line, and sinker. And we just developed this relationship that uh, it was almost like a, you know, a, a sister-brother relationship with her. And so transporting went into evaluations, and then she wanted me to help with intake. And then one weekend uh, – she came to Tulsa and she said, Hey, I want to talk with you. And I'm like, okay, that's, you know, completely fine and all that. Well, this was when lab rescue was getting ready to make a huge change. Uh, Vicki, which was who uh, we got pickles from. She was wanting to step down from being president. She'd been president for a long, long time. She'd really grown this, you know, organization to where it is at that time. And we were going to have Nikki become president. She wanted to become president and want to take it over, take us into the next, uh, you know, next part with the Facebooks and with the Instagram and with all the other stuff that was happening with technology to where we could come become bigger. And we were sitting at this little bar on Brookside, and she asked me, she goes, how would you like to be vice president? And I was like, I would love it. You know, she goes, and she's like, well, there's a lot of time, you know, you're spending 10 hours. You're talking about 40 hours a week now on top of what you're doing. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to help. And at the time I also wanted to help her because I know she was severely stressed because she had her own job and she's doing probably 60 hours a week of lab rescue because she really didn't have very many people helping her as far as what she was doing. We always had great volunteers and great fosters. But my thing was, you know, I, I knew the stresses of my life whenever I was growing up, and I could see it in hers, and I just really wanted to help out. Became vice president, and just she and I have been working together ever since. In the course of your work with Lab Rescue, is there another standout success story that comes to mind as you think collectively about all of your experience with, uh, with Lab Rescue Oklahoma? Actually, yes. Like I was talking about trying to help out Nikki uh, whenever I became the vice president. And we were doing, you know, like 120, 130 adoptions a year. And then one year, she and I uh, helped do 329 adoptions one year. And we, we were just miserable is not the right word because we were helping, but we were just super stressed, compassion fatigue. Uh, just every day, you know, just in and out, you would go home and you'd be up until 10 o'clock and it's just lab rescue, lab rescue. 
And so I started thinking, man, there's, there's got to be a better way to help stop this. So I started looking around the nation at places to help and figure out where the rescues can get better. And there was this little article about Texas Unites in Austin. Um, and it was a three-day conference. I'm like, I told my wife, I said, I've got to go to this. There's, there's got to be something to help us, Lab Rescue, help Nikki, help all the other volunteers, our intake coordinators and adoption coordinators. And so I went to the Texas Unites. This was four or five years ago, and my mind was absolutely opened again at uh, all of the things that go through just not rescues, but they were mainly geared towards shelter animals and shelter uh, facilities and everything like that. So I got to start seeing the backside of everything, and they had all of these breakout sessions that I just I just couldn't get enough of. I went to every class I could. I could only be there for two of the three days. Go to every seminar. I would go through. They had all their like exhibition halls. I'd gather as much information as I could. And then when I go back to the hotel room, I just go through all the books that I could write down. As you can see over there, all that stuff is just everything that I write down about lab rescue or shelter stuff. And so kept going through that and I came back and I told Nikki I said man there's this great thing called Texas Unites you know you really ought to go of course she didn't have the time I had the time and so I you know I told her I said well next year I'm definitely going to go I'm going to get more into it so the next year I went and we planned out which courses we that I should go through you know they had things on uh, fundraising on social media they had things on transporting, but I also got into the side of the shelter because I wanted to learn about the intake and why the dogs were coming to the shelters. And I began to study about Austin because Austin at one time is, they were where we are in Oklahoma now, mainly Tulsa, where Tulsa is now, because Tulsa is a lot like Austin, you know, it's music scene, crazy, weird. So I saw the correlation between the two and I started studying how did Austin do it. And so I kept taking all these classes and then the third time I went, I made sure to take a couple of our other volunteers, and we had a lady named Shannon and Vanessa. Shannon does our fundraising. Vanessa does all of our media. We went down there, and we started making connections with people. We made connections with the head of the SPCA, which made a connection with Tulsa, and they started transporting out of Tulsa. And we're like, oh, wow, we can do this. What else can we do? So just kept on, kept on, kept on. And then uh, suddenly in 2018, I get this email uh, from Andrea. She also does our Instagram and does fundraising, everything like that. And it was about uh, this animal conference in Oklahoma City held by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. And I'm looking through it and I'm like, ah, I just don't have time. I've got Texas Unites. I really want to commit to that. They've, they've got it all together. I don't know much about this. I kind of looked through what they were going through. And lo and behold, I'm starting to look at some of their breakout sessions. And there's one on monarchs. And I'm like, okay, I've got to go. I've got to hear this about the monarch thing. And so I get my reservations to Skirvin. I go down there. I get there early. And I meet Katie Hawk. with the, you know, She's with the Nature Conservancy. And I just start talking with her. And I'm getting juiced up. I'm really like, this is great. This is great. I want to hear what all these other people have to say. And so they go through the first, you know, the big part of the introductions of the conference, and uh, they start introducing people, and they start talking, and they start talking about other animals and how they want to become the most humane state by, I think it's 2035. And they start talking about, they bring guys to talk about elephants, and they bring up all these people that they're going to give awards to. And they brought up Becky Switzer, which we do a lot of stuff with Ground Zero. We actually have one of our rescue dogs made it through their Ground Zero training. 
and uh, will you know be part of the Oklahoma City uh, in case there's any kind of need like tornadoes and everything like that. So I talked with Becky Switzer a little bit. So now I'm really getting into it, getting into it, and I start going to the breakout sessions, and I, you know, I meet like Cynthia Armstrong, Lisa Stabas, and all these other great people. I start learning about the puppy mills and I, Oklahoma wildlife and all this other stuff. And I'm going, this is, this is just like Texas Unites on a very, very smaller scale, but I don't have to drive seven hours. I don't have to go, you know, uh, stay away from home as long. And by the time I got to my Monarch, uh, my Monarch breakout session, I was like, eh, Monarch, great, but all these others were so much better, so much better. And then came the, the second, I, I, it's not much of an epiphany, but, you know, how my life changed again. They, at the very end, they had a guy named Stephen Charleston. Uh, he's a tribal leader with the Choctaw Nation. He was the last to speak. And I have a roll card. I don't look like I'm Indian, but I do have Indian and a roll card. And so he starts speaking about animal spirits. He starts speaking about how people can help and everything like that. And I was sitting in the back of the conference room because I was severely sick. So I, and I was glad at the time because he starts talking about animal spirits and where you belong in life. And I'm just sitting there. I was like, man, this is just like a warm blanket it just falls on me. And I'm like, this is it. This is, I'm seeing what everybody's doing here. Once again, like I said, I'm not a crier. There's, this is a third crying story, but I'm not a crier. So I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm, tears are just coming down my face. I'm like, well, I'm glad nobody can see me. <clears throat> but as I look around the room, everybody else is crying because his message hit everybody. And whenever he got done speaking, I was like, this, this is it. This is what, what we're doing in Oklahoma and how I can tie Lab Rescue into it, and how Nikki and I have found a way, because you can't you can't save yourself, you know, from the shelter. You've got to you've got to start with all the other stuff. I was like, this is it. This is this is finally came home to Angie, and I told her, I said, thank you, and she's like, what? I go, thank you for saying no to the EPA. I said, now you're right. All those years of me being angry at you because we're not living in Florida, I'm not on the beach, and I'm not all this. I said, this is what I really wanted to do. And so the next day, I wasn't trying to, you know, become part of what at that time was the Save Lives Unite Oklahoma, but I sent an email to whomever it was. It was part of the uh, the animal conference. Wrote a big long thing talking about all the people that were there and how it can help. And you know, please get with shelters like Lab Re- or uh, sorry, um, with rescues like lab rescue please get with us we know a lot of stuff and if there's any way that we can help we would love to do it even on the smallest scale you know all of a sudden i get an email back from louisa mccoon how would you all like to be part of this new initiative that we're getting ready to start and i immediately called nikki i said i can't believe it we're we're in we're we're going to be making a difference and uh, they invited us to become part of that, you know, that first 20 of the Save Lives Unite Oklahoma Conference in November of 2018. And from that point on, it's, it's just been it's just been great. I know you're right in the middle of some really important work here. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, as you're reflecting back on your life uh, and your life's commitment to animals, share with me how you'd like to be remembered for the work that you have uh, dedicated your life to? That's a, that's a tough question right there. Uh, knowing the part of my life where I was lost, knowing the part 
where I wasn't making a difference. I hope that people would say that I did make a difference. I, I can't see me getting out of this. I, I, you know, my next part was with this common bonds. I'll always be part of lab rescue. There's just no way I can leave those dogs. There's just no way I can leave all the great people in our organization. But I would love it if people said, you know, he tried, he made a difference. I'd love it if I set an example Hopefully there's other people that say, okay, I like what he's doing and then his passion. I want to be like that. I want to be, you know, where sometimes this is my only happiness, you know, where you're, you know, day to day when you're working, you're in the minutia of what's going on, especially owning a business, going out and rescuing that dog. It's, it, it makes everything. And so hopefully I will inspire people for that. You know, we're starting a new program called Tag OK. I'm hoping that, you know, our initiative with that, you know, people will start, tagging the dogs and then and, you know people say well he helped save all these animals uh really as i always tell nikki and a lot of people in common bonds know this you know i'm one of those people where you know in construction you always say you know measure twice cut once i'm not the most outspoken but i do sit back i write down everything uh it, it's not for me i really i could care less about me i i don't want the you know like i always tell nikki you know i need to do a thing on you i don't want the notoriety i just want people to know that i'm out there that i did something uh and at the end of the day if if we get through all this and when i say if we will we will get through it there's no way it can't succeed and when it does it'd be great to just sit back and look at all these animals that we've saved and look at all these people that we've saved as well Jeff Cook, Vice President of Lab Rescue Oklahoma and a member of the Common Bond Steering Committee. Learn more about Lab Rescue Oklahoma's work at labrescueok.net. I'm Kelly Burley. Common Bonds Radio is made possible by the Kirkpatrick Foundation, dedicated to making Oklahoma the safest and most humane place to be an animal by 2032. Information at kirkpatrickfoundation.com. And the member organizations of Common Bonds, including OKC Animal Welfare, serving more than 24,000 animals each year in the city of Oklahoma City. Information at awinfo at okc.gov. Pet Angels Rescue, a two-acre rescue campus and state-of-the-art adoption center between Guthrie and Edmond, licensed to shelter 175 adoptable animals. Information at petangelsrescue.org. And Bella SPCA a nonprofit 501c3 organization based in Oklahoma City, created to assist low-income, elderly, or terminally ill pet owners with the cost of veterinary care and pet rehoming services. Information at BellaSPCA.org.